Morning, everyone. We're in Exodus chapter 3 this morning. Exodus chapter 3. This is a message that has been in my heart for almost a year. So uh, I looked back and when I started preparing it, and it was way back at the start of 2022, I didn't know when I was going to preach it, but I know it's the message for this morning. So we're in Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to read the full chapter, if that's okay. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the, the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? And what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And the, end, the elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go, and I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards his people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. 
Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. Let's pray. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Father, we believe that you're the God that speaks. So please come and speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, as we consider Exodus 3 and the topic of who the I am is, I just want to break it into three. Firstly, the fact that God calls himself the I am. Secondly, man thinks that he's the I am. And thirdly, Jesus is the I am. So firstly, God calls himself the I am. In Exodus, we read that the Israelites have been carried away from from their, their homeland into Egypt, and they've been held as slaves. They're being ill-treated, they're being beaten, they're being worked hard. And in, in chapter 3 that we come to, Moses, the little baby that's been in the bulrushes, he's now a man. He's lived 40 years as a member of Pharaoh's household, and now he's moved into the desert in a place called Midian. If you were to take Moses' life, you could literally split it into three blocks of 40 years. So you've got 40 years living as a member of Pharaoh's household, being treated as royalty. And then you've got 40 years where he's in the wilderness in a place called Midian. And that's the place where he finds a wife. That's the place where he becomes a shepherd. And then the next block of 40 years is when he leads God's people out of Egypt into the, into the wilderness. He wouldn't lead them into the promised land. That would be for someone else to do. But it's while Moses is in Midian, it's while he's a shepherd, that we read that God, he, God heard Israel's groaning. The Israelites have been crying out to God. They've been asking him for deliverance. And it says in verse 7 that God takes notice of their sorrows. And in verse 9, that he's seen the oppression of his people, the Israelites. God's heard and God's seen. And what God purposes to do is to use Moses as this man to lead his people out of Egypt. Now, this man, Moses, he seems like an obvious man to lead God's people, but also a strange choice all at the same time. He's an obvious choice in that he's, he's educated. He's a wise man, but he's also a strange choice. After 40 years of looking after sheep, he still doesn't have a flock of his own. He's still looking after his father-in-law's sheep. After 40 years, we read in verse 1, he's still looking after his father-in-law's sheep. So it's not that he's become prosperous. He's just a lowly shepherd. He's a strange choice. But yet Moses is still God's choice of man to lead God's people. Now Moses is out this one day and he's looking after the flock and he's near this mountain called Horeb and suddenly there's a burning bush. Moses takes note of this and he goes closer to see what's going on until eventually we read in verse 4 that God speaks to Moses out of the bush. God calls Moses by name and tells him to go to the leader of Egypt. And Moses asks God a question. The very first time that this question is asked in the Bible, what is God's name? What is your name? And it's the very first time in the Bible that this is asked, and the very first time that we get a glimpse of an answer. Who, what name am I supposed to tell the Israelites has sent me? And God replies to Moses in verse 14. Sounds cryptic. I am who I am. And in verse 15, 
God uses that word Yahweh in the Hebrew, and it's translated not very well, but it's translated into English as God or Lord. God reveals his name to Moses, and through his name he reveals his character and his being. I have heard it said before that God is a loving God, and therefore everything God does is defined by his love. I don't know if you've heard it like that. The illustration goes that it's like a bicycle wheel. You picture a bicycle wheel, and you've got a hub in the middle, and you've got spokes coming out. Some people say, well, God's character is defined by his love. So you've got God's love in the middle, and everything God does, his actions, his character, is defined by the fact that God is love. There's a problem with that. The problem with that is that it applies a human understanding and logic to God's character that I don't believe does him justice. God is loving, yes. God is holy, yes. God is righteous, yes. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. God is all of those things. But God is not defined by one of his characteristics like love. He's defined by all his characteristics all at the same time. And you have to take who God is as a person completely in order to understand who God is. Much better to look at what God says about himself, how God defines himself, rather than thinking only one of his characteristics defines who he is. So let's do that this morning. Let's look at who God says about himself, that he is, how God defines himself. God names himself the I Am. In ancient cultures, to know the name of someone was to know something very essential about that person. And God reveals his name to be Yahweh. God gives himself a name. Now, when you were born, your parents give you a name. My, when I was born, my parents give, you, give me the name Jonathan. When you were born, your parents give you a name. Rather than someone else naming God, God gives himself a name. And this name that God uses for himself is I Am or Yahweh. This is a name that reveals God's character and person. It reveals his identity. Now, the name Yahweh doesn't appear in the Old Testament until our passage in Exodus 3. It's probably one of the reasons why Moses asks for the name of this person in the first place, because he didn't know it. Moses asked for a name because he didn't know it already, so he could describe who it was that had, had sent him to Pharaoh. But even despite of that, Moses' Moses's mother was called Jochebed. If you were to look up what that name Jochebed means, it literally means Yahweh is my glory. So Moses would have non, known something of who God is. Yet he didn't understand it fully. He understood enough who, of who God is as a person in order to choose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And God in verse 15 shows that he's the God who was with Moses' parents and grandparents and forefathers. He says he's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's showing Moses that he's the one that led Abraham out of his country to a place where he didn't know where he was going. He's the one that was with Isaac. He's the one that was with Jacob. This is the very same God speaking. God shows that he is Yahweh, who has been with Moses' generations before him. But God also declares through this statement, I am, that he's the God who was there before Moses' ancestors. 
he declares that he was there before Abraham, before Isaac, and before Jacob. He declares that he's the creator. He declares that he's the absolute one. God de de declares himself as the I am, as the self-existent one. He's the being of beings. This statement reminded Moses of God's eternity. He has existed since before creation itself. He has always existed. He's self-existent, which means that he doesn't need anything in order to exist. God is completely independent. God didn't create us because he needed anything. God didn't create us because he was lonely. God didn't create me because he wanted, or well, he wanted my praise, but he didn't need my praise. He didn't create mankind because he lacked anything. No. God is independent. We read in John 17 that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit enjoyed perfect communion with each other before the creation of the world. Jesus said himself in John 17, verse 5, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory which I had with you before the world was made. You've got the three members of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, before creation, enjoying perfect communion, perfect fellowship, perfect communication with each other. You've got this God who is personal and relatable, but he didn't lack anything. He had everything before creation. He didn't need us. The fact that God is three persons meant that there was no loneliness or lack of fellowship before creation. God is independent. Now what else does it mean for God to be the I am? What else does it mean for God to be Yahweh? It means he literally is the God who was, the God who is, and he's the God who is to come. God is declaring to Moses that he's the creator and sustainer of everything that exists. This is Yahweh who who knew Moses by name in verse 4. He calls him by name twice. Moses. Moses. He calls Moses by name. And yet this is the God who has been since before creation. And is all power and authority. The God who exists and has always existed. Knows an individual by name. And that reveals part of God's character. That is tremendous. In that re it reveals to us that we have a personal God. No one brought God into existence. He's absolute in his power, in his being, and in his character. And despite the fact that he sustains all of creation at the same time, he knows who Moses is, this lowly shepherd guy. He knows who he is. He knows him by name, and he says he's got a plan for him. He's a personal God. This God who reveals himself to be the unchanging one in his being and his character through this name I am tells Moses that he matters to God. The name I am tells Moses that Moses doesn't just exist, but that God is there and present with him. He tells Moses that he's interested in his life and that he's got a plan for him. And so God does with us. This name Yahweh, it's a personal name for God and shows himself to be someone who comes near. He is a God who is interested in your life. He is a God who has a plan for you. 
This name that God's, God gives himself shows that God has, has no beginning and God has no end, that everything depends on him and nothing compares to him in his, in his greatness or his being. And yet he cares about every person sat here this morning and he's present with us. And just as he knew Moses by name and just as he has a plan for Moses, he's got a plan for us this morning. God names himself the I am because he's communicating to his creation in a profound way that he is someone who has always existed and will always exist and yet even despite all of that he's someone who knows us and is knowable God knows us and we can know God secondly let's look at man who thinks he is the I am I'm not sure if you've been following this in the past week or so, but in the news, there's been um, stories of this new telescope called the James Webb Telescope. It's, they started making it 30 years ago. It took 30 years to build, and it was launched last December. Just whack up a few photographs, Gary. These are some of the pictures that this James Webb Telescope took of our galaxy. Now, I, I tried to get my head around the numbers, and I just couldn't. If, if you want to, talk to Sue's son, after the service, who works up at Kielder. But the numbers are just, they just blow my mind in terms of the sheer distance that these galaxies are and in terms of their size. But if you were to take our solar system, the Milky Way, and put it on that photograph, any one of those photographs, it would be smaller than a speck. You wouldn't be able to see it from where you're sitting. That's the sheer scale. Jen bought me a telescope for my birthday, and these photographs are almost as good as my Amazon bought telescopes. <laughs> These are some of the very first pictures that were taken. Wonderful, aren't they? Millions of light years away. Blows my mind in terms of how far away they are and how big they are. Here's what NASA says about the new images. NASA says, Within days of the new telescope coming online in June 2022, researchers began discovering wait for it, thousands of new galaxies more distant than previously documented. Only this year, in 2022, have they discovered thousands of new galaxies that we weren't even aware of before this year. Mankind proudly declares this fact that the universe is so many billions of years old. Mankind declares the Big Bang created everything. Mankind declares I am because I know all this. Science knows all this, and I am in control of my destiny. But God, God in Job 38, he says, this, was, this is God's response, brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I led the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Some look at the human body and think, well, we know everything about it. Yet it was only in the 1900s that evolutionists thought that we had 180 functionless structures within our body. Can you imagine if 
those, those doctors who believed in evolution removed those 180 functionless structures from your body, they wouldn't be very alive, would they? That's just a leftover bit. Let's rip out an appendix. We don't need that. That's just a leftover bit from evolution. That was only 10 or 15 years ago. And now actually they've realized pretty, pretty important thing. Tonsils are actually pretty important thing left by the designer. Now don't get me wrong, science is amazing. Real observable, testable science is a fantastic thing. We're learning more and more about God's gift. But that changes when mankind declares himself to be the I am. Mankind declares proudly, I am all-knowing. I am worthy of praise. And man turns the praise of the creator into praise of the creation. Man says, I am in charge of my destiny. And yet God says, it's utter foolishness. We still haven't observed a significant fraction of the universe. And yet mankind sets himself up against the creator. How can, how can a people be so proud? How can a people who weren't even aware of thousands of galaxies think that they know more than God? How can a people who even recently thought that parts of our body weren't needed think that they know more than God? You see, from the fall, man has made himself God. And as time goes on, we seem more and more concerned with who we are and our identity, searching for it in the wrong places. We declare ourselves to be the I am. God turns all of this on its head, and he says, actually, we're not the I am. We're not in charge of our own destiny. God is. Moses wasn't enough to lead thousands of Israelites out of Egypt. He knew it, and God knew it. And yet Moses' focus in this passage was still on himself. Even though Moses knew he wasn't sufficient for the task, Moses' focus was still on himself. Moses asks the question in verse 11, Who am I that I should go to, to Pharaoh and that I should bring the people of Israel out of Egypt? Pharaoh asks, not Pharaoh, Moses asks, Who am I? He asked the wrong question. The correct question was, who is God? God's identity was more important than who Moses was. People wrestle with the same question today. We all ask the question, who am I? Who am I really? But God says, I'll tell you who I am. And I'll tell you who you are. You're here because the I am formed you in the womb. You're precious because I am the one who came to rescue you. When we know the God who is with us, we can step confidently to do his will. Believer here this morning, we need to ask the right question as we, need to, as we step into another year. It's easy to focus on ourselves like Moses did. But instead, let's focus on God. When the Old Testament says that God is with someone, it stresses God's power that enables that person to carry out the calling. So I challenge you this morning, is your view of who you are as a person biblical? Do you see yourself 
as the I am. Someone trying to control your own destiny. Or are you willing to submit to God as the I am? Is your view of who God is big enough? Do you realize quite how powerful and big our God is that you pray to? The I am. The self-existent one. I love that verse in Genesis 1. Those five words. I know I said probably too much. But those five words in Genesis 1. He made the stars also. Five words in the Genesis account. And yet you've seen the sheer scale and beauty of the stars. That's how little effort it took for God to create the stars and the galaxies that you see. This is, and yet, this is Yahweh who knew Moses by name. This is a God who has been since before creation. He's got all power and authority. God's absolute being means that all the universe is by comparison to him as nothing. There is no equal to God. He stands alone. As, this mor- as, as you sit here this morning, as you face this new year, you can do it with confidence. Not only does God have plans for you like he did with Moses, but he's got the power to enable you to carry out the plans that he has for you. If that confidence is in yourself, if my confidence is in myself, I will fail this year. If that confidence is in your own ability, you will fail this year. If there's a focus on yourself for what lies ahead, that is a problem. Instead, let's be confident in who God is, asking the right question, who is the I am? And meditating on that, trusting in him. And just finally, we've got Jesus as the I am. just coming towards the end of the festive season and one of the names that Jesus uses speaking about himself was the I am you've probably heard it before we had Kevin speaking on John 1 one of the names that Jesus used was the I am he said in John 8 58 Jesus said before Abraham was I am and if you were to look at that passage you would start to realize that God was, Jesus was claiming to be God. Jesus is claiming to be the creator. He's claiming to be equal with God the Father. And the Pharisees listening to Jesus make that claim completely understood that Jesus was claiming to God. How do I know that? Because they picked up stones to stone him. They understood that Jesus was claiming to be the I am, that Jesus was claiming to be God. In addition to that passage in John 8, Jesus would claim seven other times that he's the I am. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate of the sheepfold. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. So Jesus reveals himself to be the I am. Now this part, back to our passage in Exodus 3, where God the Father reveals himself to be the I am or Yahweh, it can also be translated as I will be. There's a sense that God is the becoming one. Literally that God is whatever is lacking in our time of need. 
to Moses, God was promising to be with him. That God would accompany him as he went before Pharaoh. That he would guide him. God even describes exactly what would happen to Moses as he went before Pharaoh. And God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ as the I am invite us to fill in the blank to meet our need. When we're in darkness, Jesus says, I am the light. When we're hungry for more in life, he says, he's the bread of life. When we're defenseless and lost, he says, I am the good shepherd. God is the becoming one, becoming what we need for this year ahead. Just in conclusion, today if you're a Christian here this morning, you face two huge enemies. You might be sitting there wondering what enemies you face. You're probably already aware of some of your enemies as a Christian. Maybe you think one of your enemies is the temptation to, to lie or steal. Maybe you think one of your enemies is a lack of self-confidence. Maybe you think one of your great enemies is a, a love of money or hot temper. Those might be issues for many of us here this morning. But these are two enemies that every believer sat here this morning faces. And they tend to rear their head when it comes to a new year. One of the enemies that I'm talking about is called yesterday. And the other enemies, tomorrow. The enemy called yesterday appears quite a lot in a new year. It looks back on a year that's gone past on our feelings. That enemy called yesterday whispers in our ear that we should have treated someone differently. We should have witnessed to someone. We should have witnessed to someone differently. We shouldn't have fallen into that temptation. And that enemy yesterday might be whispering in your ear, reminding you of your feelings over the past year. Maybe not even the past year, but as you look back on your own life as a Christian. That enemy yesterday looks at your Christian walk and tries to whisper in your ear and remind you of your feelings. Everything that you feel that, everything, every time that you've fallen as a believer, we can beat ourselves over the head with letting our minds rest on that. But rather than that, focus on the I am. Focus on the one who has said that if you've trusted him with your sin and asked him for forgiveness, then he's the one who's taken your sin and cast it as far as the east is from the west. You saw the scale of the galaxies there. It's not talking about as far as the east is from the west in this world. You can see how far your sins have been forgiven. One of the devil's names that he has in the Bible is the accuser of the brethren. He whispers in your ear. He whispers in my ear and reminds me of my feelings. And yet if you're a Christian here this morning, he's dealt with your sin. The hymn writer John White, he put it like this. Well, may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them all and thousands more. Jehovah findeth none. Trust God with his forgiveness. The other enemy that we have as believers is called tomorrow. Another enemy that rears his head at New Year. Tomorrow with its uncertainty. Tomorrow with the things that we can't plan for. You may be a planner sat here this morning. There's things that you can't plan for that are going to happen to you. 
this year. Maybe as you look ahead into your new year, it fills you with dread. You might have relatives that aren't doing so well health-wise. Maybe you're not sure what your own health will look like this time next year. You're not sure what to do in your job. You're not sure whether to retrain or whether to retire. Maybe you're moving house. The wonderful thing about the I am, who is and was and is to come, is that we serve a God who is outside of time and so knows everything. And therefore, nothing takes him by surprise. And because God is not taken by surprise, he's not subject to the same changes that we are. Nothing in this creation takes God off guard. Nothing backs him into a corner. He is the God who is. As you face this new year, you can do it with confidence that God is who he is, that the I am who was and is to come is with us. And we know from experience that we have a good father who's watching over us, just as he was watching over Moses as he went before Pharaoh. He's watching over us. If you're a Christian, he's dealt with you yesterday. He's forgiven your sin, and he's gone ahead of us into tomorrow. Those two things don't need to be enemies because the I am is with us, and we serve a God who cannot fail. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're great, that you're glorious, that you're mighty, and yet you're personal. Lord, that you sent your Son to be God with us, the great I am, the one who meets every need that we could possibly have. Lord, the one who promises to be with us. We just pray that you would meet our needs for this year. Lord, we lay it before you. It's uncertainty. It's unknowns. But Lord, help us to ask the right question. Not, are we sufficient for this year? But are you sufficient for this year? Help us to trust the great I am in everything that we say and do. In Jesus' name. Amen.